Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, we want to look in the sword of the Lord. We want to look in God's holy word today. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll re- be reading beginning in verse 13 here in just a little bit. And so today in the passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter 2, it is on the subject of earthly governments. And I say this with all sarcasm, that is exactly the subject you always want to t- hear and talk about, isn't it? Government, yay. Of course, some of you work for the government, and so you, you might know some of the frustrations. But where we're talking about specifically how Christians are to relate to earthly human governments. Um, because, you know, let, let's face it, we, we look at our government with a little bit of uh, cynicism, maybe, skepticism, uh, a little bit of criticism. Um, but we're not the first uh, generation to do that. Uh, the great theologian uh, Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce it, but he lived during the late 300s, early 400s ADs. And so he, he was around during kind of the waning days of the Roman Empire. And the way that he looked at government was he saw government as a necessary evil, meaning that it was necessary because of the evil of, it was necessary because of the evil of humanity. Because humanity is evil, well, we, we need something. Yet he couldn't help but look at it with a little bit of, you know, similar skepticism and cynicism that we might have. Because it was hard for him to look past the fact that here you have wicked, sinful humanity governing over wicked, sinful humanity and maybe the hypocrisy that goes uh, with it. And so he told a tale about Alexander the Great. I mean, it's probably just a made-up tale. But he told this tale about Alexander the Great who captured a, a pirate. And Alexander scolded the man for keeping hostile possession of the open seas. And the tale goes that, you know, after Alexander scolded this guy about, you know, what he did, uh, the pirate then replied to Alexander saying, okay, so I seize the seas with one petty ship, and you call me a robber. You seize the seas, but that's hard to say, you seize the seas with a great fleet, and then you call yourself an emperor. What's the difference? So people looked at government with some of that cynicism. Now, yes, sometimes government makes itself an easy target for sarcastic barbs and sarcastic witticisms and, and the like. You know, um, actor and comedian Will Rogers, he stated this. He said, well, there's no trick to being a humorist when you have the whole government working for you. So he thought that being a comedian was easy, thanks to the government. And then there's the ever-famous quote from Mark Twain where he said, suppose you were an idiot and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. Sometimes government brings upon itself the witticisms or the barbs, the cynicism, the criticism. And we hold these hostile views of government. And we as Americans, well, let's face it, we were born out of rebellion. And there's just something within us that wants to fight the system. And that's, you know, maybe one, you know, then you have the other extreme where people are so patriotic that in all practicality they worship the nation and, and the government. And that's a bad extreme as well. So you got this one extreme of hostility, the other extreme of worship. 
But neither of those are the biblical view. The Bible gives us God's view how we are to look at and relate with human government. And he tells us through his inspired word what we are to do. But some of what he says goes against our natural tendencies. But we are Christian pilgrims on this earth. We are here to serve God. And so we take on the views and the attitudes that he calls us to take, that he commands us to take through his word. Now to give a summary of what Peter says here, Christians are called to relate to human government in God-honoring ways. There is a way to relate with the government in a way that honors God. And that's what we're called to do. But what are some of the specifics? What does this look like? What, are, what do we have to look at? What do we have to consider when we take on our attitudes and relationships with human government? Well, Peter talks about this in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these five verses. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives and minds to go against many, many of our natural tendencies. And Lord, we live as you call us to live and we relate to people as you call us to relate so that you are honored and glorified through it all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, to, to put this passage within the context of the, the entire book, you know, Peter starts this book by telling us that we are Christian pilgrims, we are exiles, we are merely sojourners on this earth. This earth is not our home, we're just passing through. Because if we are in Christ, we belong to Him, and we know this is not our final destination. We, are, we will be with God forever in heaven, and then eventually the new heaven and, and, and the new earth. But while we are on this earth, we remember that we have been changed by Jesus Christ and we have been given a new life. And that new life that we have been given shows itself through the way that we live and we act and we talk and the attitudes we have. It, the new life lives through our life, right? And it's a life of holiness. We, we, we are called to turn away from the passions of the flesh and the lusts and things like that, we go against, really, because we're new, we go against the natural tendencies that we might feel. Led to live, you know, we, we normally want to live for self. Well, we're new, we're changed, we're in Christ. Don't live for yourself. You are a pilgrim, you're passing through, live for God, shine bright on this earth. But now this new life and how we live this new life also is demonstrated in the way that we interact with civil authorities, with human governments. 
because God has allowed those governments to be over us. Even though this world is not our home, even though we're pilgrims, we're just passing through, we're on this journey, but while we're on this journey of life, guess what? We live somewhere. And the somewhere where we live has a government. And God has allowed that government. And so there's a way to interact with that government that honors God. You don't interact with the government according to your natural flesh, your natural tendencies. You interact with this government in this new life that you have with Christ. And that is God-honoring. That is Christ-honoring. And how that's done is discussed here. And there's a lot to unpack here. But I want to highlight some main points that Peter touches upon, and they don't go necessarily in order of the verses, but there's kind of a logic to it. I want to go in the logic of the concept. So what are some of the points we need to consider when we are interacting with human government? Well, the first thing we want to look at is the background. What should be in the background of us in the interaction? And it's our position of who we are as Christians. There's this concept of truth regarding who we are that we have to keep in the back of our mind. When we're interacting with government, and honestly, just in the way that we live life on this earth for holiness, we keep this in the back of our mind that we are God's servants. In verse 16, this is highlighted. We are told we live as servants of God. That is the way we live. That is the way we live. That is the way we interact with everything in this world, and that's the way we interact with the government. We are servants of God. So this position of being a servant of God should be at the back of our head in everything that we do and believe. But why is this important? Because our natural tendency is to do our own thing. And we are called not to do our own thing. We want to live, you know, our natural tendency is to live life the way I want to live life. It's about me. But we have to remember in everything that we do, no, it's not. You are a servant of God. Think about, you know, well, you know, the biblical concept of servants. A lot of the, the servants in the day of Christ, I mean, there were slaves maybe in the way that we thought of slaves, but there were also bond servants who had this debt that they had to pay. They weren't able to pay it. And so what they did was they gave themselves over to the service of the one to whom they owed the debt. So that eventually they would pay off the, the debt. And as that servant, they would do what was demanded by the authority. Now, we as Christians, we definitely owe a debt. We were not able to pay the debt. Someone else paid that debt for us. And so in a sense, we become, we become indebted to the one who paid that debt. The one who paid our debt is our authority now. And we live to serve that authority. So obviously, you know, I'm talking about the fact that we have a debt of sin. Jesus Christ died. He rose again to pay that debt. Those who believe are now free from the judgment and the condemnation that comes because of that debt. But because Jesus paid the debt, we belong to him now. We are no longer our own. He purchased us by his own blood. We belong to Christ now. He is our authority. That means we obey Him. We live the way that He tells us to live, not just any old way that I feel like living. You know, we call Him the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons He is called Lord is because He is our Lord. He is our, our authority. And so as servants, 
we don't have the right to just do what we want to do and live any old way we want to live. That includes the way we interact with government. We just don't interact with government any old way that we want to. Because he is Lord. He is our authority. The servant has no say-so in what the Lord expects. The servant has no opinion to give to the Lord. The Lord expects obedience from the servant. So we are servants of God. We are servants of Christ. We are in no position to say, no, I ain't going to do it. Whatever Christ expects, that we do. But what does that have to do with government? Well, we have to keep this in the back of our mind because, you know, Peter says this is the way that you interact with government. Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter is God's mouthpiece, and God is using Peter to tell us this is how you interact with your government. And so we are in no position to look at what Peter says and say, yeah, no, I, I don't like that whole idea, forget that. We don't have the option. We are servants, and we've got to keep that in the back of our head. And so the second point that is closely related to this first point, since the background of what is said here is our position as a servant of God, well, then this naturally leads to the motivation for what we do, and that's God's authority. We're a servant, God is the authority. Right? Through Jesus Christ, God is the authority. That's all the motivation we need. God's my authority, I'm his servant, I'm going to do what he says. I see, I read and I see what God says, what he has inspired, I see it within its context, I understand it, then I'm going to live it. And so that's true about what Peter says about civil authority and human government. We are called to live a certain way in relation, in relation to human government and civil authority, and we do it because God is our authority and he said so. You know, just like when you were a kid, and, you know, your parents told you to do something, and you begin to question them. You know, you try and assert your independence a little bit. Why do I got to do that? You might not have given it that much attitude, but, you know, you start questioning your parents. Well, why do I got to do that? And what did they reply? Because I said so. Ain't up for discussion. Well, why do I do it? Look, I said so, period, and that's it. Why do we live according to what God inspired in Scripture? Because God said so. That's all we need to know. And so Peter recognizes this authority behind the mandate with the way that we interact with government. Because in verse 13, he says that we live and relate to government this way for the Lord's sake. And then in verse 15, he says, you relate to the government this way because it is the Lord's will. It is the Lord's will. The servant lives to do the will of the authority. And we are servants under God's authority. Living under the, living under the authority of this earthly government is God's will but why because god said so because god is sovereignly in control because he is behind the scenes because we might look at government and see certain things and we you know have our skepticism cynicism and criticism but you don't know what god's doing behind the scenes god is in control even of bad governments god is in control 
It's not like God looks at all the bad governments that have ever existed and he's like, I have no idea what's going on here. What are these people up to? No. He's got it under control and he might actually use the bad government for something in the long run that we wouldn't even imagine. And Paul, rec Paul recognized this. He writes something similar in Romans chapter 13. I want to read verses 1 through 7 of Romans 13. If you want to turn there or if, if you want to just look at the screen, I do believe I have it on the screen. But the, these two passages, I mean, are very much interconnected. And so this is Paul's version. This was what Paul was inspired. Here you got two apostles inspired to write about how we interact with government. So this is what Paul says in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that, have, that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So you see a lot of crossover between Peter and Paul here. But for our, our purposes right now, in just for this particular point, we notice that Paul says there is ultimately no authority except God, and then God is the one that institutes the other authorities. There, God is the ultimate authority. He sets up these other authorities, and to resist these other authorities is to resist God himself. God has invested a government with the authority of law and order, and therefore, as servants of God, we place ourselves under the authority of the institutions that God has instituted or put together, who has placed. Let's face it. This is a hard pill to swallow because, well, one, we don't like authority. That's just kind of ingrained in us and our sinful nature. I mean, we don't, we don't like following God's authority, much less anybody else's. But, you know, we, we need to consider what's going on here. Peter and Paul both says, God is the authority. We are the servants. God has set up this authority over us. So as servants of God, we submit to them and consider, consider the historical conduct, uh, context where, where Peter and Paul are writing from. Because they were living under the authority and power of the Roman Empire. This is the same government that crucified Christ. And Peter and Paul are saying the same thing, be subject to them. And consider who was emperor at the time. More than likely, when both of those letters were written, Nero was emperor at the time he hadn't gone into full-blown persecution against christians yet but he was still one of the most wicked men that have ever lived on this earth 
And more than likely, they both lost their lives under his rulership. And here they are, both under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying that since you are God's servant, you are under the authority of the authorities that God has instituted. Because God is the ultimate authority. God is the authority. He has set up these other authorities over you. So live like it. But what does living under that authority look like? Well, that leads us to our third point. Here's our call. We are called to submit to government. We are called to submit to government. Both Peter and Paul use the same exact word when they begin these sections, telling us to submit to government. Be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject, Peter says, be subject to human institutions. I think the King James Version says human ordinances. It, it literally says human creations. And so it's, you know, what, what God has created in this humanity for, for the government. Put yourself under the institution. Be subject to that authority that God has placed. That's what the word subjection means. Place yourself under that authority. Submit to that authority. You are a servant under the ultimate authority of God. God has placed his other authority over you. Therefore, submit to it. For Peter and Paul, that meant to submit to the Roman Empire and ultimately to the emperor himself. And then, you know, Peter talks about the governors who, who the emperor has set up. So there was the emperor and there was the imperial senate, but then all the local areas had their governors submit to them. Both Peter and Paul said. Peter and Paul both recognized that the human governments were ordained by God for certain purposes. Now, Peter lists what some of these purposes are, and actually uh, Paul reflects this as well. One of the purposes of government is to punish those who do evil. Punish those who do evil. Punish the murderer, the thief, and, and so on and so forth. Chuck Colson wrote this. He said, Government originated as an ordinance of God. It is, in one sense, God's response to the nature of people themselves. While it cannot redeem the world or be used as a tool to establish the kingdom of God, civil government does set the boundaries for human behavior. The state is not a remedy for sin, but it is a means to restrain it. I mean, Jesus Christ is the only remedy to sin, but human government is used of God to restrain evil. It's a restrainer. People have sinful natures, they are going to sin, and government is ordained by God to be there to restrain the wickedness as much as possible from a human institution. I mean, think what you will about the Roman Empire, but they ushered in the Pax Romana, which was a time of peace and security. It was safe to travel and everything throughout the Roman Empire because, because of this. But then, not only are they supposed to punish evil? Peter also says that government is there to praise those who do good. I mean, even before the Roman Empire started the whole worship Caesar and, you know, the persecution of Christians, they generally treated good citizens fairly, decently. I mean, if you were a good citizen, you would be recognized. So you submitted to the government and you tried to be a good citizen. And notice, I mean, I'll talk about, you know, everyone's wondering, all right, when is he going to get to the exceptions, though? I'll talk about that in a minute. 
But I do want you to notice that there is no fine print here about submitting to government if you like the people in the government. I mean, nobody liked Nero, that's for sure. There's no fine print about, I mean, you, you don't have to submit if you don't like their policies. There's no fine print saying that, you know what, if they're not of your political party or political views, no, you, you don't submit to them. There's just not that fine print there. I mean, Peter and Paul obviously did not agree with Nero the way he handled things, even before he went off the rails and did the whole fiddling while Rome burned and blame on Christian thing. But you'll notice in Scripture, if you read through the Bible, never once is there a call for revolt, revolution, hostile action toward government. Submit to government. Okay, but does that mean that you follow each and every law that a government lays down? Do you blindly follow the government no matter what? Are, are there any exceptions? No, you don't blindly follow government. Yes, there are exceptions. Okay, so what are the exceptions? Well, it's not just picking and choosing. I mean, it's just like, well, you know, I don't really like that law. I'm not going to follow it. You can't choose to disobey just for any old reason. The criteria for not following a government ordinance is if it directly contradicts a command or law of God, if it goes against God's word. We see this at play in the book of Acts. Peter and John, they were brought before the Sanhedrin. Yes, the Sanhedrin were religious leaders, but in a sense, they were also the local government. They were the city government, so to speak. And this city government says, stop preaching about Jesus. And this is their response. Well, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen or heard. So the bottom line is, okay, is it more important to follow man or is it more important to follow God? Peter, the one who said right here, be subject to human institutions, turned around and did not when it contradicted God's law and God's command. Again, God is the ultimate authority. God is the one you ultimately obey. And if the laws of the human institutions run counter to the laws of God, then the laws of God always take precedence. But there has to be a biblical basis, not personal opinion. And that's the hard one for us Americans. We think it's what I, I feel, what I believe, rather than what God says. So for example, you might not like the speed limit on a certain highway because it slows you down and you can try and justify it saying, you know what, this is slowing me down from doing the Lord's work or whatever. But the bottom line is that there is no biblical law that somehow overshadows speed limits. So you follow the speed limit. Wink, wink. Supposed to, right? There's no biblical law saying no. You can break that law. If, on the other hand, the government were to say that the Bible is illegal and that me as a preacher cannot preach 
biblical messages anymore or preach biblical truths anymore. That is not something I can follow. Because 2 Timothy 4.2 tells me to preach the Word. And so if the government told me not to preach the Word, look, I have a higher authority. I have a greater law. This is what the Chinese Christians run into because, you know, they have a government that says that if you want to be a church, you have to register with the government and then we are going to control what it is that you say. Frank, pretty much you are just going to be, uh, become another arm of our propaganda department. You are going into church and you are going to preach communist propaganda. Well, the true churches go underground and disobey that so that they can obey the biblical command to meet together, not to, you know, don't neglect the assembly of believers. So they want to meet together and they want to obey God's command to preach the word. Human authority versus God's authority, when they come in conflict, God always wins. God's law supersedes human law. And there's biblical examples of this, other than Peter and John. Think about the Hebrew midwives in the book of Exodus. They were told, okay, we want you to kill all the male children that are born. And the midwives are like, sure, yeah, right, not going to do it. And they didn't do it. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were told to bow down and worship an idol. You either worship that idol or be thrown in the furnace. Well, no, we're, we're not going to worship that idol. Throw us in the furnace, and then we see what happened there. But they were going to follow God's law, not man's law. Think of Daniel. There was a law passed that, well, you can't pray to any god other than the Persian king. And anyone who does is going to be thrown in the lion, to the lions. So the law is passed. Daniel hears about this law that is passed. What does he do? He goes home and he starts praying to God. Because he feared God and God's laws and commands are greater than man's. So those are examples of the right way to disobey. But here's the thing you also have to consider. You know, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. They actually worked for the government. They worked under Nebuchadnezzar, who was also not a very good king, pretty wicked man. And yet they obeyed Nebuchadnezzar unless it contradicted God's word. And so the, the same call is to us. Be subject to these human institutions. Be subject to the governing authorities unless they contradict God's word. But what if I don't like it? Well, here's the thing. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm here. We live in a unique situation in America. We get to participate. Well, we're supposed to participate in the government. So we have the freedom to speak up. We have the freedom to criticize. We have the freedom to vote. We have the freedom to contact our government. We have the freedom to make our opinions known. We, have, we even have the freedom to peacefully assemble and demonstrate when we think the government is wrong. But we have to be careful 
of the methods that we use. And that leads to my fourth and very quickly final point. There is a reason why we are to be subject to the government, because it makes us a holy witness. It makes us a holy witness. Peter says in verse 16, not to use our freedom to do evil, but instead, according to verse 15, we live as good citizens and do good things and we do good works in order to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we live as good citizens under the government that we're under so that, that even, even for you know, people that don't like Christians, but we, 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 we live that way so that those who don't like Christians or who are hostile toward Christianity, so they don't have a basis of accusation against us. So that they can't look at us and say, ah, you're a bunch of insurrectionists, you're a bunch of anarchists. I mean, they might still say that about us, but there's no proof. Because you are being a good citizen under the authority of the government that God has placed above you. So by your good works, by the positive things that you do within culture, it gives no room for pagans to accuse you of wrongdoing. They see your good works, and they give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that actually was a, uh, an argument that was put forth by the early Christian apologists. Late first century, early second century, there was great persecution against Christianity going on. And the argument that the apologists would give is, I mean, they would actually write letters to the emperor. And they would say, look, Christians are some of the best citizens you could ever have. We subject ourselves to you. We follow the rules if they don't break God's law. And so if you arrest and kill Christians, you're killing some of the best citizens you'll ever have. You're losing out. Now, would people be able to give the same argument today? Are Christians some of the best citizens that there are? Again, we have this uniqueness in the United States. We have these freedoms. But are we using our freedoms wrongly? Are the, are the methods that we use when we disagree with government, are the methods that we use pleasing in God's sight or dishonoring God? Do we do things in such a negative way that, that we give our enemies a reason to accuse us? Are, are we so negative and or, overbearing and frankly jerky on social media that, you know, we're just dismissed? Do we do more complaining and posting and picketing than we do praying and serving and sharing the gospel? Are we being a holy witness to the nation and government? A government who obviously needs it. Are we being Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes when it comes to our interaction with government? Let me just close real quick with this thought. You know, governments come and go. Some have been good, some have been bad, but all were to be submitted to as an earthly authority. There's no exception clause in Scripture other than contradicting God's law itself. But we have to remember Governments are temporary, and our stay on earth is temporary. And we can't get so wrapped up in the here and now that we forget about 
our true citizenship. We have dual citizenship. We are citizens of heaven, and we are citizens of earth, and whatever earthly authority God has placed us under. Are we honoring our heavenly citizenship by the way we live in our earthly citizenship? Because here's the thing, God has placed us here at this time, in this place, to honor him. And so the question is, are we going to be salt and light? Or are we going to be tasteless and dull? Which of them? But a great encouragement, no matter if we go through good governments and bad governments and everywhere in between, the earthly governments are temporary. The dictators are temporary. The presidents are temporary. Peter and Paul's situation. The emperors are temporary. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God through Jesus Christ is forever. And there's nothing that the earthly governments can do that will change our heavenly government, so to speak. There's nothing in our earthly citizenship that will ever change our heavenly citizenship. But we have a chance and an obligation to have our heavenly citizenship influence our earthly citizenship. Bring to bear the kingdom of God upon the kingdom of earth in right ways. His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray for that. Christian, come to the altar today and pr well, pray for our government. They obviously need it. But don't complain about it. Pray about it. Don't be cynical about it. Pray about it. And then pray how you can be salt and light and a good citizen. Pray how you can make an impact for the kingdom of God in the kingdom of men. And then pray how God can open up a gospel invitation or presentation for you upon this earth. But there might be some here who are not part of God's kingdom. You have one citizenship. Your earthly citizenship, but you are not part of heavenly citizenship. Jesus Christ died for you and rose again. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. Become part of his kingdom. Be removed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And yeah, you won't be in your earthly citizenship forever, but your heavenly citizenship is eternal. And that's the one that really counts. But until we get to that realized fully, let's consider how we can be subject to the human institutions, to the human authorities that God himself has placed over us at this time. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. 
We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.